Welcome to Vicious Whispers with Mark Tullius, your source for horror, sci-fi, suspense, and all things violent. Thank you so much for joining me today on Vicious Whispers with Mark Tullius. Today we have episode 182. At the end of the episode, I will play a story from Somber Stroll. That story is going to be Mutual Understanding. I had a lot of fun with that one. And it is going to tie into the story I have to tell today, which I don't want to tell, but it's all good. I think I'm over it. Talk about self-forgiveness, rage, all that kind of stuff. You guys have probably heard it here before, but I will share it again. All right. So anyhow, been an awesome week writing-wise. I've got a lot done on trying to die in the Wild West. So I've gotten that back from John Palisano, went through all of his changes, love everything that he added. Now I saw that I have six tiny little dressings that I need to finish up. Other than that, the book is complete. A couple things here and there. So the editor is already working on that while I'm finishing up these last scenes. Finish up the cover on that as well. Trying out some different options. One is like a wanted poster. The other one is just a picture of the town. I'm not sure which one we're going to use on that. I also had a great talk with Steve Montgomery this week. He called me to go over one of the chapters he has worked on. Man, he made it so much better. It was so much more exciting. Just did an awesome job. So it has been cool to watch him, watch him, you know, just build this thing up, make it better. If we had put it out two years ago, it wouldn't be nearly as good as it is now. So that was super cool. I haven't done really anything on Death Best this week. I did figure out which co-authors would be writing which stories or which authors would be writing which stories in Death Fest Confessions and so which band they'd be attached to. I think I know them all. But other than that, didn't do much on there. So yeah, this whole week was Wild West. And I did get a cool message from Duncan Ralston yesterday saying that he is nearly finished with the trench die at Ghostland. So that is really cool. More Trennis to Die related news. Seidrichi, the writer of The Wizard's Tower, noticed my Try Not to Die shirt I was wearing the other day in a video. and said he wanted one. I told him uh, we're going to have to share because I only have the one. I just never cared for the back of the shirt that much. Didn't come out that great. Wanted to redesign it. And I was like, shit, why don't you redesign it, Sage? Like, he's an awesome artist. He's a tattoo artist, just great artist overall. So. Uh, he is starting on that. I think we're going to make it look like a cool concert shirt with lots of the titles on the back and maybe the locations of either where the co-author's from or where the story takes place. So still figuring that out, but that should be, I'd say we'll probably have that done relatively soon. Let's put those up for sale shortly. So on the writing front, I think that is about it. Not much else going on. Tonight, we, the family gets to go see Knotfest. We probably are going to miss the first band because my daughter has volleyball practice and we don't care that much about them. They might be great. I haven't listened to them before, Crown the Empire. I think I heard them on Octane, but just probably fast forward. So might be really good. Maybe we'll catch part of the show. But then there's Ice Nine Kills. We're all excited about that. And then Slipknot. So seeing Slipknot a bunch, but it has been a long time since I've seen them. And no members of my family have seen them yet, so I think they're all going to enjoy that show. I'm not sure about my son. He's a little bit nervous about it. He's been to a concert before, but that was a long time ago. It was at the same location, which is good, but he's worried about the car ride. I think he might also be a little bit worried about the scare factor, whether or not these two bands are going to be scary. If you put on a Slipknot video or Ice Nine Kills, there's some 
scary stuff, especially if you're only nine years old. So we shall see. We told him he doesn't have to go if he doesn't want to. I'm sure I will find a friend that would join us if he doesn't go. Just wanted to do something as a family, but always want to do what is best for each member of the family. So I would never force one of my kids to do something that they really, really didn't want to do, especially something like this. So I will let you know next week how that goes. Okay, so let's get into it. It's probably about a month or two ago, whenever school started, like so mid-August, I was having a very hard time with anger because I was feeling like I didn't have enough time. I was driving too much. I was so upset at people not driving the right way, you know, in my mind, what the right way was getting very upset every day and it just wasn't good. And I realized like, okay, I need to do my yoga. I need to breathe. I need to do my mantras before I go in the car. I need to just keep everything positive. I can't react that way. I don't want to react that way. So everything has been awesome since then. And I had a little setback the other day and I was very, it pretty much ruined the entire day. I mean, I, I guess I, I got over it eventually and I got stuff done. But it really shook me up. So I was on my way home from take my daughter to school. Everything was wonderful. I didn't care that there was a bunch of traffic. I was like, oh, I'm just going to take even longer. So a lot of construction, go a longer way, waiting in line, waiting in line, waiting in line for my turn to make the left-hand turn. So I think we I waited probably three or four lights worth. So we were there for a while. And the whole time I'm wondering, I was like, oh, I wonder if someone's going to try to sneak in. Like, people are assholes. Though Someone might. And then right before it was my turn, I'm starting to go and a car cuts me off, nearly hits me, and then just keeps going. They just don't care. And instead of just letting it go right there, I fucking went from being cool to all of a sudden, man, just, I don't even like talk about it because it's, it, it's a complete loss of control. It's not something cool. It's not something I'm proud of at all. Maybe the old me a long time ago. Would have been like, yeah, fuck that guy. You know, I'm a I'm a man and he just wronged me. So whatever he gets, that's what he gets. Like that's the old kind of thinking, probably. But I was just so enraged all of a sudden that I started, I went through the yellow light super fast. Might have been red, I'm not sure. I'm not gonna admit that. But anyhow, I chased him through and then I kept following him. And anyone else that saw it probably would have been scared. He was probably very scared. I was trying to get him pulled over. I wanted to talk to him. And then however that talk went, you know, oh, fuck, I didn't care at that point. I wasn't thinking right. I didn't check to see if he had someone else in the car. Like maybe there was a kid in the car. I didn't check to see, you know, who knows how dangerous I was driving following him. So, you know, whatever I was upset at him for doing, for driving dangerously, for breaking rules, for whatever else, I was doing, but in my brain, I don't care because I'm just pissed because this guy did something wrong to me and everyone behind me, and I was going to make it right. I'm going to make sure he doesn't do it again, whether it's talking to him or fight or whatever, but I was just so upset, and then fortunately, nothing happened. I didn't keep following him. I was already, at that point, I was just so upset at myself, came home, talked to my wife, told her what happened um, because honestly this is it'd be so easy to throw away everything that we worked for it, if i got hold of that guy if he said something back to me if he had a gun you know i could have gone to a fight 
either he gets hurt and then I go to jail or he sues me or there's no positive outcome of getting into a confrontation with someone else. And I don't want to, you know, when I came home, I talked to my wife, she was trying to get me to, you know, let it go, forgive myself. I knew at that point there was no way I went and smoked cannabis, went into my sauna. I was in the sauna for a long ass time, just breathing, thinking about it, walking through, why did this happen? How did I let this happen? How do I really feel about it? You know, I'm telling myself like, oh God, you know, I, I, I feel bad now of how much I might've scared this guy, how much I might've scared anyone in the car, how much I might've scared anyone watching, you know, just what an asshole I must've looked like fucking going after him, wanting to get him to pull over. I was like, I don't want any of that. I, that's not, that's not me. Those aren't, those aren't the kind of choices I ever want to make, you know, but when, when we're triggered, so and I shared a video about this in the CT group, uh, one of the CT groups I belong to. I shared a video, made a video. A lot of, I think, sharing it publicly is part of why I was able to forgive myself. You know, getting it out instead of just keep playing over my mind, over my mind, over my mind. Like, why did I do that? What's wrong with me? How little control do I have? Can I be trusted? You know, all these, all these thoughts, all these thoughts, all these thoughts. But talking about on there, crying a little bit, that always helps. <laughs> but sharing on there seemed to help. And I shared it on there because I was like, you know what? I bet there's a lot of other people, whether they're wives, what, what are, whether they're a caregiver, you know, for a loved one, or this is a person that's going through it and being themselves up. I was like, it's probably good to hear that someone else goes through that. And here's kind of what they're dealing with. Here are some of their emotions. I know a lot of guys probably in that situation cannot share those emotions. I've gotten a lot better about being verbal and sharing shit, just like not caring. I don't care if I cry in front of someone. I don't care about any of that. Yeah, I got these emotions. Yeah, I have these vulnerabilities. Yeah, I have this lack of control here. Yeah, I could fucking turn into this huge rage monster. It is what it is. But if I hold all that shit in, if I don't tell anyone, if I just come on here and I'm all happy and fucking, yeah, the world's awesome. I'm awesome. That's not being honest. That's not helping anyone. So I think it's good to always, and whether it's talking with friends, like I don't, I don't, I generally don't let people have small talk with me. I want to talk about big stuff. Like, man, what happened this week? You know, is everything cool? How, how's, how's life? Not like how the fuck are the Dodgers doing or the Rams or any of that, <sighs> but enough of that stuff. I let it go. I'm going to keep working on it. I'm going to keep reminding myself every morning when I get into the car. I have nowhere to be. Like, even if I have to go meet George for my buddy for lifting, like this morning, I'm going to go over to his house after I take lift. I'll just go a little bit earlier. And it's not that much of a rush. And if I'm late, that's not a big deal. We're going to do yoga where we just lay there for part of it. So that, you know, I have nowhere important to be. I'm going to feel bad for anyone that is in a rush because they probably got to go to some shitty ass job or there's a medical emergency or whatever. I'm just going to start framing stuff like that. And then remember what my daughter said too. She's like, man, being in the car is just a cool time to listen to music, discover new music. So that's one thing we do together. And I will remind myself of those things before getting in the car. All, all the talk of CTE, TBI, that definitely brings up a lot of other stuff that it's been hard. I think I've mentioned on here how hard it is to see all these parents posting photos. I don't, lots of guys I'm friends with 
posting photos of their kids playing tackle football. I'm talking about kids that are, you know, pre-teens. And just, it, I, I, I don't get upset at the parents. I want to tell the parents, say, hey, have you seen this? Like, do you know you're probably fucking your kids up for no reason? Best case is you're giving them extra playing time and they're going to get really good and then they're going to go on to high school, then they're going to go to college, then they're going to go on to NFL. And then they're going to have CTE because if you play football that long, there's very little chance, I think, that you're not going to end up with CTE, that you're not going to end up with a rattled brain. So if you are considering having your kids play some kind of contact sport before they're 14, please do the research. You're going to own that. You're going to hate yourself if you, 20 years from now, they're like, I don't know what's wrong. I just keep raging out or I just this or that or I, or I kill myself because of all this shit that's going on in my head because I played a sport way too young when there's all this proof that it was dangerous. So I'm getting to the point where mm, I am starting to get a little upset because you should be taking care of your kids. You shouldn't be trying to live through them. You shouldn't, you know, yeah. Oh, my kid wants to really play. He really wants, how many 10 year olds really want to play tackle football? And if they do, you tell them, hey, it's not safe. We'll wait until you're 14. Play flat. But again, that's just me getting upset because I don't want to see anyone get hurt. I don't want to see lives ruined, especially when you can't see. You don't know if your kid has had a concussion or not. You don't know what this other kid did, but whatever. You, it's not my kid. I can't worry about it. So if you want to keep having your kids, subject them to that. If you want to risk that over playing a sport, getting a little bit of activity when there are great alternatives to that activity. So instead of Pop Warner, you play flag. What's the, what's the big difference? What are they going to miss out on other than head trauma? Not much, but whatever. Not my kids. I can't make those choices. If I could, I would make Pop Warner illegal and other sports that have contact to the head before these kids' brains can handle it. But again, that's just me. What do I know? I will only be able to take care of my kids. I will try to send them the right direction, keep them out of stuff. My daughter's about to start wrestling. There's concussions in wrestling, but she's also 14. We will look at that stuff. We will watch that stuff. What I'm talking about, the main danger is before 14 years old, being in a contact sport. It's not a smart decision. So that's all I'm going to say. You, you could please show me studies that say it is safe, that it is a smart decision, that these other studies that show all the damage are bullshit. That, then I'll have a conversation with you. But otherwise, don't tell me, oh, well, the NFL says it's okay, or I saw a commercial on fucking Gatorade where these kids are playing and everything's cool and they're happy. Yeah, that's where you're getting your information from. So you're not getting it from a legitimate source that says that this sport is safe. You're not. So you're deciding based off of your beliefs. And these beliefs are not based on any kind of fact, but that's how our society works now. So I feel it's safe. So I'm just going to do it. Yeah, why not? All right. And most of those people are probably making that decision. They did play football. And they probably are not in the right state of mind because they're in their 40s or they're in their 50s and their brain has declined and they don't care or they're angry or they're whatever. So they're not even making good decisions like that. But that, again, is just my theory. And I'm getting upset about it. So <sighs> let it go. Let it go. Let it go. Let it go. All right. Again, 
not trying to attack anyone, but if your kids 13 and under are playing a contact sport, Pop Warner, whatever it might be, I would seriously look at the research before allowing it to go another season. So, you know, if, if, and then you can sleep easier. Then you're like, oh, that dude, yeah, he's full of shit. You know, I don't really believe him, but let me just look. Let me just see. Oh, do I want that? Do I want that risk for my kid? Oh, oh, there's a risk of death, sudden impact syndrome. Do I want that risk for my kid? Mm, yeah. But again, do what you like. Not my kids. I'm going to shut up now. And we're going to go out on a story. Again, this story was, it's fiction. <laughs> but it is based off of a desire to be able to settle fights mutually. You know, I think it was Oregon that had the law. This story is called Mutual Understanding. It's based off of a law that they're either proposing or that they allowed where people could fight. You might have to call a cop to watch it or whatever to make sure no one got hurt. But if two people were upset at each other, they would be allowed to fight, which was like, cool. Uh, like that would be okay if people agree to it. But this writing this story made me think about it. And this story is like, okay, one of the, one of these individuals is a female. Now, how's that going to go down? What would that be like if we had a female person want to fight someone that road rage honor that was a male? Listen to this story and you shall find out. All right, guys, sorry for all the anger. Definitely got a lot of stuff going on this week. A lot of emotions, Anything CTE, TBI related is very triggering and upsetting. It's something I deal with. That's something I see all my so many friends deal with. So, and then there's so many people that don't have any idea that's the cause of so many of their mental health, brain health problems. But you know, it, it's hidden. You don't think about the car accident you had 20 years ago or 30 years ago, or that oh shit, I did play high school football. Oh, I was heading the ball all the time as a kid. Yeah, just because the science wasn't there doesn't mean we don't have the damage. So the science is there now, and it's showing that, oh, yeah, we did all that shit, and now this is where we are at. But, all right, enough of the lecture. God damn, what's wrong with me this morning? Woke up too early. I'm not trying to be a grouchy, angry old man. I'm trying to be a caring, concerned, loving person that doesn't want to see other lives ruined. So take that for what it is. I hope you guys enjoyed this story. I hope you have an amazing weekend and I will talk to you later. Peace. Mutual understanding. The concrete circle lies between here and the little kids playground, three flat benches and a patch of grass separating them. The climbing structure straight ahead, the infectious laughter drawing my attention. But I've seen how quickly the joyous peels can twist into terror. The soft, cushy ground not absorbing the fall. Parents sprinting at me in a 40-yard dash, screaming for ice, telling me to hurry, do something. Looking at me like I'm the one that told their kid to go play up there. Like I had something to do with constructing it. That playground's been here since before me. All we own are the bleachers and everything in this shack which cost plenty. That doesn't even include the rent we pay the city. Karen reminds us every single day, jumping on either Ryan or me the moment we walk through the door, asking us how much we sold, just so she can tell us it didn't come close to covering the cost of our wages. We've been open for business for four months, and 
things aren't panning out the way Ryan had predicted. Dad's worried we'll have to shut down before summer. School ended a little over an hour ago, but most kids are probably staying inside to keep warm. If I'm lucky, I'll sell a couple dozen waters and maybe a hot chocolate or two. But even with the little rush that always follows baseball practice, none of that will make a dent in what we're down. Last person to buy anything was that girl in the green yoga pants. She's pushing that chubby toddler in the swing one-handed so she can scroll through her phone. The kid doesn't mind the lack of attention, a giant grin plastered on his face, the wind whipping through his curls. She looks a few years older than me, maybe college, so I'm guessing babysitter, not mother. But either way, at least she brought him. Karen has never come here with Derek, and we live across the street. Mom loved this park. The birds, the trees, the laughter, everything about it. We were here every day of the year, rain or shine, and mom took photos to prove it. Most of them are just me, but some with her in them too on the days dad joined us. Her favorite was when I was four, standing on that middle bench, whistling to the blue jay on my shoulder. My favorite is when I was eight and we were cuddled on the grass, a week or two before the chemo. Lots of photos were captured in this circle, sporting roller skates and protective gear in the winter, a swimsuit for all of summer. The six-foot-high pole in the center hasn't sprayed water for the last five years. There used to be a sign that read, no riding toys, no running. It might as well have said, go ahead and fall off the monkey bars, but don't you dare trip on the concrete. The new sign is ours. Something Dad special ordered. Four words that cost $100 reserved for mutual understanding. A couple of kids are clomping up and down the bleachers to the right of the circle. Freddie, the homeless guy who sleeps in our shack most nights, is bundled up in his sleeping bag beneath the bleachers to the left. Most of the mothers and nannies are gathered around the benches with their backs to me. The only person facing the shack is the bald guy on the front bench. Every Tuesday and Thursday, he visits with his preschool daughter, a tiny blonde girl with glasses. I've never really seen him play with her, Usually, he just hands her a tablet and she's glued to the device while he scopes out the area. The shack, often one of his main interests. The squeal of tires makes everyone turn as a sporty black car swerves onto Cherry, crossing the median headed straight for the playground. The driver whips the car around and screeches to a halt against the curb, parked the wrong way. Another squeal, this time a filthy 4x4 truck. The first driver, clad in all black, gets out and walks straight through the playground, headed right for me. The truck slams on its brakes, but not in time, its metal bumper shattering the car's taillights. The driver doesn't react, just keeps walking toward me. With the hoodie on, I can't tell it's a female until she reaches the concrete circle. The guy who jumped down from the truck has on jeans and a bright red jersey. He slams his door and storms through the playground. Surrounded by children, nearly every one of them staring, the guy shouts, where the fuck do you think you're going? The woman, pretty and probably late 20s, doesn't pay him any mind as she approaches the counter with a smile. The truck driver pauses between two of the benches, his wide shoulders making me think he might still play football. I'm talking to you, you little faggot. She shrugs off the hood and shakes out the brown hair that just brushes her shoulders. From across the circle, he shouts, Oh, so because you're a chick, you get away with whatever you want? I offer to call the cops, but she says no. 
She's cool and collected, but too much, like maybe she's in shock. Makeup covers most of the black eye, but not her oddly curved nose or the faded scar on her forehead. I figure she had her own phone, but hold up mine just in case. Do you want me to call? Nope, just a bottle of water, please. The big guy wasn't going away. Come on, you were so tough earlier. You can't even look at me. The woman pulls something from her wallet. Nodding at her face and keeping my voice down, I ask, Did he do that to you? She shakes her head. I don't even know this guy. He forces a laugh. <laughs> what are you doing? You gonna call the cops? Go for it, you little fucking liar. Aiming some hate my way, he says, What's that little cunt telling you? Oh, the water. I disappear beneath the counter, think of grabbing my pepper spray from my purse, but just come up with her bottle. The woman pays with a 20, but when I hand her back three fives, she won't take them. She flashes a sly smile and whispers, put it on me. I'm sorry, I don't. The woman steps to the side and slides her yellow card into the mutual machine. A series of loud whoops blare from above as the yellow strobe light on the roof is activated. The computer reads, Sarah Torres, 32-58-135-B. Everything seems in slow motion. The guy yells something I can't hear with my hands over my ears. The whooping stops after five seconds. The first two rows of both bleachers nearly full. A line of women face me from the side of the benches, some standing on top, the children beside them. I drop the cash on the counter and call dad. He answers on the second ring, asks if everything's okay. The bald guy comes up to the counter, asking the woman something about training. Into the phone, I say, yeah, so far, someone's thrown down their card. It sounds like dad is trying not to get too excited. Just one? Yeah, a lady. The guy in the jersey is at the far end of the circle talking on the phone, waving off the group of skateboarders gathering round. Make sure everything's recording. I'll check the feed on my end. Remember, five minutes if they agree. Reaching up, I hit the red record and then the blue streaming buttons. It's on. Dad, can you find Ryan? There are a lot of people here. Sure, sure, sure. I'll get him down there right away. Dad promised. Don't worry, honey. I'm patched in and everything looks great. I'll open up the boards as soon as we get confirmation. I don't want to ruin his excitement, but say, if she challenged a guy? Well, it doesn't look like he's going anywhere. Must be game. Go, honey, handle business. You got this. As I hang up, Sarah turns to the guy. How long are you going to make these good people wait? I'm not going against a girl. I'm not a girl. This is fucking ridiculous. He turns and starts toward the benches, a wall of people blocking his path. Now it's Sarah's turn to yell, her voice still under control. Figured you for chicken shit. Spreading her arms, she presents him to the crowd. This, boys and girls, is a bona fide coward. He spins around and steps into the circle. Fine. You want to do this? Let's do this. Sarah moves to the other side of the counter and gestures to the machine. Then how about you stop blabbering and insert your card? He pulls out his wallet and rifles through it. I, I don't even know if I have it with me. Without the slightest hesitation, Sarah points at me and says, She can sell you a replacement. Hell, I'll even pay for it. He locks eyes with Sarah. You're nuts. I'm not fighting some psycho bitch. The baseball team joins the crowd. And now, 
No less than two dozen cameras are catching every angle. Sarah says, go ahead and let the coward leave, but make sure you get a good look at his license plate. I'll have to report him for the hit and run. He doesn't say a word, just heads straight for the machine and shoves in his yellow card. Nothing. I walk over and glance at it. It's upside down. The crowd bursts into laughter, calls him dumb shit, moron, a dozen different names. His cheeks match his shirt by the time he gets it right. Another set of whoops signaling a mutual understanding. Gerald Marin, 25-61-210-A. This is so stupid, he says, probably more to himself than me. I don't want to fight some girl. Pointing to the timer counting down on the wall, you still have time to cancel. From just a few feet away, Sarah snickers. <laughs> you mean chicken out. Gerald won't look at her, just calls her a psycho bitch. She says, yep, must be true if you keep saying it. The 60 second cooling off period is almost over. I give them one last chance to back out, then press the button that posts all the details to the shack's billboard. The bald dad squeezes in front of Gerald so he can be first to place his bet. At least a dozen others line up behind him to use the machine. The rest of the counter is filled, people calling out orders, not bothering with a line. Sarah takes the ripe bleachers as her side. The crowd cheers for her, giving her space to take off her sweatshirt. Clad in all black except for the white swoosh of her Nikes, Sarah bends down and says something to the little girl with glasses sitting in the front row. The girl nods and Sarah lays her sweatshirt across the girl's lap. Gerald looks over the mob and catches my eye. What did she say? It was taking all I had to get everyone's order and change right. I simply shake my head. The back door unlocks and Ryan walks in, breathing heavily. Holy shillies. <laughs> he takes it all in. This is for real. Cherry is stopped with cars. Gerald raises his voice. What did she tell you? Ryan says, Hey man, we got a job to do. Only 19, but never one to be intimidated, Ryan nods at the left bleachers. So do you. Gerald backs off, and Ryan and I continue to take care of the customers. With two minutes still left on the timer, everyone is back in their places. Snacks torn open, popcorn spilling. Ryan wraps me up in a huge hug. Oh, I can't wait to rub this in Karen's bitchy little face. 10000 just for hosting this. Gerald stands outside the circle, cracking his knuckles and moving his head side to side like he's checking for a clunking sound. Sarah is inside the circle doing slow, deep squats, her eyes trained on Gerald the entire time. I tell Ryan, I don't think I want to watch. He has both hands on the counter, beaming as he soaks in the scene he dreamed of. Yeah, of course. Why don't you get the ice and bandages ready? Sarah rolls her neck in every direction while pumping her arms back and forth across her chest. Gerald shakes his legs out and keeps on knuckle cracking. Sarah raises her right hand overhead and shows us her red card. Staring at Gerald but speaking to everyone, she says, Let's make this more interesting. The crowd roars. Stomping their feet, the bleachers shaking. Gerald doesn't say a word, his face hard to read. Sarah practically bounces over to the machine and replaces her yellow card with the red one. She returns to the bleachers to the sound of three blasts of the air horn. You're insane, Gerald says. I'm not doing this. The teenagers in the swelling crowd grow hostile, tearing into him with names none of the children need to hear. Fuck you. Fuck all of you. 
The crowd does not relent with their calls of cowardice. Sarah says, Okay, let's change that billboard. Make the odds on whether this little pussy leaves. I got 50 that says he splits. Yellow tail between his shaved legs. Fine! You guys want it? I'll give it to you! Gerald stomps over and gets out his red card. You saw she started this, he says to me. She's begging for it. I don't say a word. Just watch him slide his card into the reader. I cover my ears for three more blasts, watching the red strobe light activate and reflect off the concrete. Another wave of people is lined up for the machine. Gerald shucks off his jersey, a white tank top underneath, tattoos on each swollen arm. Sarah walks over to me, appearing confident, not considering backing down. She hands me her wallet. There's just about $500 in here, 13 to 1 odds. Put it all on me and we'll split it. Dad would have pointed out that half of nothing is nothing, but that's all I have to lose. Plus, I don't want to ruin the confidence Sarah has built up. I ask Sarah if she's sure, and she nods, slipping in a red mouthpiece and heading back to her spot. Ryan shakes my shoulder. Hey, what are you waiting for? He grabs the money and runs around to get in line for the machine. The bet placed, he hands me the slip with less than 20 seconds left on the clock. There isn't a cloud in the sky, but the air feels electric, like it's about to storm. Nearly everyone is on their feet, the noise louder than any game I've ever been to. I'm going to stay right here, Ryan tells me. He leans over the counter and presses the button to lower the pole, the sign sliding down through the drain. Elise, you don't need to see this. I want to agree to face the back wall, but just like everyone else, I'm drawn to the circle. All betting is now closed, Ryan shouts. Combatants, take your places. Gerald's work boots clunk onto the concrete, his fists by his sides. Sarah turns to the little girl in glasses and gives her an almost imperceptible nod. The girl smiles at Sarah and then buries her face in the sweatshirt. Sarah bends over and reties her shoes, tucking in the strings. She enters the circle and Ryan gives me the nod to blow the last air horn. Gerald stays right where he is. Sarah advances, crouched down like she's in a martial arts movie. I don't watch MMA as much as Ryan, but from the way she glides like a snake sizing up prey, even I can tell she's trained. Only problem is, Gerald being one and a half times her size. The ridiculousness of this woman closing in on the much heftier man becomes a little less ridiculous with each measured step. Gerald brings his fist to his chin and stands his ground looking like he might try and tackle her. The crowd quiets as Sarah passes the center of the circle. She jumps in and out of his striking distance, but Gerald never bites. Sarah's third time in, she steps diagonally to the left, blasts the inside of his knee with a vicious kick, knocking his leg out wide, the crowd roaring approval. Gerald tries to regain his balance, but Sarah's jab cross connect with his nose. She follows with a hook, but Gerald drops his chin, her fist glancing off the top of his head. Sarah jumps back, clutching her hand. Gerald leaps in and just misses with a haymaker. Sarah shoots a sidekick directly to his kneecap. Gerald cries out, limps after her. You fucking cheater! Sarah smiles around her mouthpiece and does it again, her heel slamming into the front of his knee. Gerald grimaces as he puts that leg behind him out of her reach, but Sarah closes the distance, lifts his left ankle and pushes his chest. Gerald spins his arms to brace for the landing, barely stops the back of his head from bouncing off the concrete. 
Sarah still standing crouched over him, her left foot crushing his crotch, her arms trapping his ankle to her side. She falls to that side and lands on the shoulder, both her legs keeping Gerald's leg pinned. With a deep grip around his ankle and the boot trapped behind her armpit, Sarah presses her belly to the concrete and arches her back. Gerald yelps, sits up as far as he can and slams his fist into Sarah's shin. Sarah shifts her hips and switches her legs so her outside leg is over his. He tries wrenching her off, but she has it figure forward with her bottom leg. With his leg bent at that odd angle and his foot trapped on her hip, Gerald can't do much. He throws a backhand, but she ducks under it, his heel caught in the crook of her elbow as she takes it with the leverage of her whole torso all the way onto her far shoulder. I tell myself that Pop was just his jeans tearing, but the scream says it was probably a ligament. Gerald grabs hold of Sarah's arm and pulls himself on top of her, pinning her top leg down. His left hand finds her throat and squeezes. Sarah knocks off the choking hand, but doesn't see the punch that cracks her upside the head. There's blood beneath her. She keeps moving, deflecting the next two punches off her forearm. Sarah sits up and hugs Gerald close, bringing them back down. The moment his hands hit the concrete, Sarah brings her shin high on his back, over his shoulder, and under his chin. Ryan shouts, Oh, fuck! An omoplata! Sarah sits up and wraps her arms around Gerald's neck. Gerald strains to get away, like a dog on a leash, his face smashed into the concrete, his arm riding further up his back. He bursts forward and breaks Sarah's grip, drags her underneath him, and drops all his weight. Sarah grunts loudly, but never stops scrambling. Getting her feet on his hips and then locking her legs behind his back, Gerald reaches back to throw a right hand and Sarah launches her body at his left arm that's braced on the ground. They start to tip over, but Gerald slams his hand back to the concrete. Sarah ducks beneath his armpit, sliding around to his back. Now Sarah has a foot wrapped around the front of each of Gerald's legs and fought to get an arm around his throat. Gerald tucks his chin and pushes off with his feet, throwing them into the middle of the circle, Sarah's head banging off the drain. Keeping his weight pushing down on her chest, Gerald throws a blind punch over his shoulder, a meaty thud that smacks Sarah square in the mouth. The sound of sirens grows louder than the crowd, but doesn't silence them. The sirens come closer and closer. As Sarah hides her head from the punches, Gerald's knuckles bloody from the misses that connect with the concrete. Everyone is so absorbed with the fight, I'm the only one that notices the police cruiser tearing through the parking lot and slam on its brakes just feet from the back of the bleachers. The cop bursts out of the car, pistols drawn, yelling at everyone to clear out of his way as he pushes toward the circle. Sarah's face is a red smear and she's flat on her back, but looks safe. Her legs wrapped around Gerald's neck and right arm, his left in no position to do any damage. Gerald's face is purple when the cop bursts through the crowd and lunges into the circle. Gun aimed at Sarah's head, the cop shouts, Release him! Now! The crowd boos, but Ryan holds up his hand to quiet them. Pointing at the two red cards in the reader, Ryan addresses the officer. He agreed to an advanced mutual understanding. Those two are the only ones who can stop it. The cop doesn't take his eyes off Sarah. I said now! Sarah glances at the cop, but can't seem to take in what he's saying. Ryan urges her. Go on, he can't stop this. Ryan cites the law to the cop, swears they'll make a citizen's arrest, and sue if the city continues to interfere. 
The officer lowers his gun, but only a bit. That man's a police officer. Sarah takes a deep breath through her nose as blood trickles from her bottom lip that's torn in two. Speaking around her mouthpiece, she says, Not in here! Gerald takes advantage of the distraction and drops to his side, freeing space around his neck. Instead of fighting to get back under him, Sarah swivels on top, her legs still triangling his head and arm. In complete control, Sarah sits back on his chest, a steady stream of her blood falling on the forearm that tries to hide his face. The cop yells at me to do something, to shut it all down, but Ryan says that isn't going to happen. This is all on video, and you're trespassing. Get out of the circle. Sarah spit out her mouthpiece and hits Gerald's cheek. Or stay there and you can go next. Gerald peeks from around his forearm and whispers, Please. Sarah shakes her head and slams her elbow down on his forearm. The crowd roars. She does it again and again. An explosion of applause accompanies each strike. It looks like his forearm breaks on the sixth shot. I stop watching after two more, but I hear the thuds keep coming, becoming wetter. The cheers die down until finally, no one utters a sound. There's only her breathing, ragged, like an animal. An animal not to be messed with.